0: We're continuing where we left off. Today, again, is, uh, is August 9th, 2020. And we're going to continue with the thought of the week and prayer.
1: Okay, thought of the week. Not by works, so that no one can go. Take from the pages, chapter 2, verse 9. Just in case you didn't get the message from the previous verse, we have the next phrase, not by works. I will hope the matter is settled here by the tough and direct words need. However, I know it is not. Many walk away from these verses and still see the works as intriguable to securing and maintaining their salvation. Some see it as a challenge to their belief that works must be involved. Their challenge is how this courage fits into their view of salvation. The thoughts never occurs to them that they are wrong and needs to draw their stance and embrace God's grace in this way. Their position is perfectly logical to them and they feel somehow God must also share these works at all. All those such difficult virtues is beyond them. But they will just and turn the meaning until they are satisfied that Paul is not really saying they don't need work at all. But that is is referring to something else and they can still have it their way. I am not guessing about how they view the scriptures. I was on that side many years ago. I still remember my reasoning, the twisting, the arguments and the problems I had with this particular verse. No one in the word says that it is good for teaching, rebuking, correction and training and righteousness. Take it from Second Timothy chapter two. I'm sorry, Second Timothy chapter three, verse sixteen. I was certainly eating and no matter how I rationalized this verse suddenly, finally I should be submitted to God in his way. Take it from the thought of the week. A lot of people get so strung up on this verse because they still think they must do something so some God can approve of them. But I realize in, in looking at this verse here, they have, you have to keep them focused on what Jesus Christ did on the cross. How God the Father was satisfied with the works of Christ and his salvation that he did for mankind. God was pleased and satisfied with him. So there was work to be done, but it was the work of Christ and how the Father looked at it. A lot of people look at it, his verse, and they, and, and they like to twist that verse in James about um, faith without works is dead, but they totally is misusing the scriptures in that particular way. So we know that we are saved through the grace of God by the work of Christ or His salvation worked on the cross. So when I come to look at this verse, it took me a while, also like in many of us, because we come from some so much religious backgrounds. And I realize that it's by the faith of God and the work that Christ did on the cross that I'm saved only through what he did not on my or not what I did. So this is the thought of the week not by works that we're saved but it's through what Christ did on the cross. so I just give before we have to, the white to lead us in prayer.
2: thank you very much Dave. all, all right. I will certainly pray for Waters Truth Church and Church Universal, or immediate and extended families. Are there any more specific requests that you would like to include? All right. Let us um, let us bow our heads before pray, him. Pray for me and my family, Bill Myers. Mm-hmm. Definitely, Bill. Um, All right, so let us bow our heads as we come before him in prayer with with our supplications and with thanksgiving. Dear Father in heaven, we ask you to open the eyes of our hearts so that we may see more closely and intimately into your deep thoughts, the plans that you have made for our glory, destined for our glory before time began. That's a, a huge statement right there
0: and unbelievable
2: in itself and yet we can find in your word the unsearchable riches of christ and what uh, each detail of that plan is for us in this age and we pray that you would give it um, the humility and and that we would take advantage of our our volition and, and come before you with humility and to seek to learn and know all that you have for us you desire that we would come to the full and accurate knowledge of the truth and we, we hope and expect to hear that word of truth in your word. So I pray for this church with a truth church those who are on this call or affiliated with the church I pray for all my brothers and sisters in Christ uh, local and uh, around the world I pray for the church universal that we may all be eager to seek the unity with the Spirit and the bond of peace. And um, let us all pay close attention to the work that, God, that Christ has done for us. Not only did he die for us so that we can have salvation, but also so that we can have eternal life. And eternal life is that we know him who uh, who sent him, who sent Christ, and Christ himself. And let us be humbled to let the Holy Spirit do his job and guide us into all truth. I pray for everybody's immediate and extended family, and you know, whether there's are the blood relations or not, um, to, you know, people on this earth that we come in contact with and let us treat everybody as if they are um, fellow angels and, and believers. And by our actions, let them be drawn closer to you. I also pray for the safety and, and um, the, the, uh, the focus, I guess, is a way to put it. For those in the path of natural and man-made disasters, um, those are part of the course in this world. Um, just as uh, just as all kinds of violence and brutality um, is it's certainly the devil's world, but um, we take assurance and we take rest in knowing that Christ has overcome the world. Our citizenship has been transferred to heaven. And our dual citizenship is just taking advantage of the situations and circumstances we have so that we may partner with God in all synergy and lead more to Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.
0: Amen. <clears throat> Thank you, Dwight and Dave. We are going to move right in <clears throat> to where we are in uh, John chapter 14. Today, verse 29, we're going to take a look at that and stand by. So, <clears throat> I have told you now before it happens so that when it happen, when it does happen, you will believe. So this is the verse in question and hopefully you have your notes. Have you ever played that puzzle game where you draw a line to follow the numbered dots? As you follow the numbers, you discover that you are creating a picture. At first, you're not sure what it is, so you just keep following the instructions. Then, things start shaping up. You can now see the outline of a picture. Keep going, and now you can see the picture. Now you know what it is. With greater emphasis now, you quickly finish it to get all the detail of the picture. God allows his plan to unfold like this in our spiritual minds. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's taken from Hebrews 11.6. Notice... Belief precedes rewards. The disciples needed to trust Jesus, even though they did not fully understand the plan. The plan would unfold, and they would see the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's taken from Ephesians 3, 10 and 11. And this is part of how We should see it unfold, right? It's not going to unfold all at once. But the more you continue to be diligent and looking and seeking after God, God will show you. He will lead you and guide you into all truth. You will see the bigger picture, the plan. So we're going to go through this verse. It's a short verse, but I think it's important that we see it this way and try to develop what uh, Jesus has to say here. So let's continue with uh, the first phrase, I have told you now before it happens. The first thought is, how did Jesus know what would happen before it happened? That's a question I guess you could ask. And one of the titles of the Lord is prophet. And we, we should know that Jesus prophesied He told what would happen in the future accurately. That's one thing we we have to understand and see that it's not just, oh, somebody predicting what they think might happen. He's telling people what happened before it happened. And that's supernatural. How can we know that? Humanly speaking, we can't know that. Uh, Predictive prophecy is a part of what the Word of God brings to us that helps us know that we are dealing with a supernatural being here. God can tell what's going to happen before it happens. Right? There's no power that we as human beings have to be able to, pr- to accurately predict the future. Now, there have been many prophets Who have come up and said, yeah, I'm a prophet. God's given me the power to to tell what's going to happen. And then guess what happens? They tell you things that are going to happen, but they don't happen. So there's lots of people in the world who have made predictions. Nostradamus and others, you could, people say, well, Nostradamus knew this and he knew that. But when you look at some of the things they say they knew, you look at some of their prophecies, they're very broad. And so what people do is instead of the prophecy coming to be true, just as it happened and, you know, and so forth, they end up writing history into what the words of the prophecy meant. The words of the prophecy are like clay and people just mold the current events of the day into what the prophecies were. That's not how we are to see what's happening with God. God's not guessing what might happen. Prophecy is not a good educated guess. Now we can guess what might happen. Uh, in, in many instances, like when we read Proverbs, we can say, oh, if you <laughs> if you're if you're angry, this is likely to happen to you. And because If we say if we see that a person's angry and we say yeah they're going to get in some sort of trouble, then their anger gets them into some sort of trouble, and then we think oh we're prophets. That's not it at all. Proverbs is like axioms, you know, one thing happening as a result of something else, uh, you know, and uh, and on and on, you know, it goes through a lot of axioms. But when when we're talking about prophecy, that's a different category. Look at Matthew twenty four where Jesus says. Not one stone will be left upon another that will not be thrown down. And when he said that, he, he's not just saying, yeah, I think uh, Jerusalem will fall. But he went further than that. He said, not one stone. Left. And, you know, I stood on that mountain, uh, the Mount of Olives. And I looked over at Jerusalem like Jesus would have. And he says, see you, all these things, and as you're looking at Jerusalem, and I can imagine the temple was glistening in the sun. And he said, there shall not be one stone left upon another. That's a difficult prophecy to to fulfill. I mean, imagine looking at the beauty of the temple and the wall and all that stuff. To say that it will be destroyed in such a manner is bold, I would say. But yet, how do we find that this came to pass? That, yeah, Jerusalem was surrounded by its enemies. And then it was besieged, and eventually they got in there. They fought them off for a long time, but they got in there, and they destroyed the temple. And the temple was made with bricks overlaid with gold so that when you looked at it, it would glisten in the sun, the gold would glisten in the sun. It was beautiful to behold. And the disciples thought, there's no way that could be destroyed. No way. But Jesus said, yes, all these things will, will happen. Right? He prophesied. He's a prophet. So when Titus went in there and destroyed the temple, he not only destroyed it, but they destroyed the temple in such a way that, as to recover The gold that was in the building of the temple so when he says not one stone left upon another they took apart all of the stones so that they could recover the gold that was in the temple i mean imagine you there's no way you could have made that prophecy come true in some kind of way other than to know that jesus is saying you know what happened he saw what happened to the temple and we could fill in the gaps of why it happened but jesus said it would happen he prophesied that it would happen so that's to know jesus had the title of prophet so he could he also prophesied that the church age would happen he talked to the disciples he told them he was going away all these were prophecies and sure enough he did he went away just when he says he was going to be beaten and he was going to die he was going to be crucified all of that happened just as he said it would. So he, have, I told you now before it happens. Let's go to the next thought. Here we find the sh- short-term prophecies regarding his leaving the disciples, going to the Father, and the inauguration of the church at Pentecost. So Jesus, when he was teaching, he was projecting what would happen in the future. And that's part of uh, the unfolding of the father's plan you know we needed that and the disciples more so than us needed it because they were right there in the face of christ as he was telling them yeah i'm going to be leaving you i'm going to go away and he they knew what that meant they meant that jesus was going to die at the hands of you know these cruel romans and jews who had instigated christ says they would be i would be beaten and and he would be spit upon. He would be mocked. He would, all these things. And then he would be crucified on top of that. Remember, Christ was flogged. He was beaten with the cat of nine tails as well. He knew all this was going to happen to him. And he told the disciples about it. Of course, it went in one ear and right out the other. They did not hold hold on to this as truth. So when Christ said he was leaving, all they said was, i don't know anything else i just know that should not happen and they responded to it by just saying i don't know what he's talking about but i don't believe that it's going to happen to you so these were short-term prophecies they would be happening in a matter of days in fact christ was telling him this was going to happen and then he says, come now, let us leave. And he's headed to the Garden of Gethsemane. Or he was getting ready to head to the Garden of Gethsemane. That was the very next thing that was going to happen after the discourse. So uh, if you look at 18, you find that that's exactly what we see in 18. is They went, and they went right to the Garden of Gethsemane, and that's where Judas came with the contingent of temple guards. So, it was short-term, we could say short-term prophecies, and then it goes on to three days later, Christ was raised from the dead, he he stayed on earth for 40 more days, and then he ascended to the Father. All prophesied by Christ. The details of it. In fact, just before he ascended, he, he talked to the disciples again. He says, wait here at Jerusalem until... You receive what my father promised you. Again, he reiterated what the prophecies that he had said earlier were. So this existed and continued on until Pentecost happened. And then he even talked about what would happen after Pentecost. So it it was much more, he said, that he had to tell them more than they could now bear or hold or they didn't have the capacity because they didn't understand so let's continue on point C the gift existed in the early church age The what do we mean by the gift I'm talking about the gift of prophecy it existed in the early church age now why was Jesus using prophecy in the first place he was using it so that he can help the disciples understand what was going to happen to to unfold the Father's plan gets rid of fear, anxiety, doubt, worry, all those things that the disciples were experiencing at the time, and failure to believe, because they didn't understand what the plan was. So Jesus was unfolding it for their benefit. And when we don't know, you know what's gonna happen, that uncertainty in and of itself breeds Fear, for example, when you think about what it says in First Thessalonians, we do not suffer, uh, you know, or grieve as those who have no hope. Well, people who have no hope, when when death is the subject, you know, it, it is tough for people because they don't know what's going to happen next. Fear overtakes them in such a way that it just grips them and, and grabs hold of them because they don't know what's going to happen in the future. They don't understand what the next steps are. You know, I, Okay, I'm going to die, but then what? It's a terrible thing, that fear. But when you know what's going to happen, that gives you hope. You're just like, oh, okay, I know if I die, I'm going to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. That's what I'm holding on to. I know that death is not the end of me. It is... A new beginning where I transition from this life into the next. I'm going to be present with the Lord. Later, I'm going to receive my resurrection body. And uh, so I will ever be with the Lord. I will have conscious existence forever. I'm not going to be going into nothingness, as it were. So, there, you know, this gift of prophecy is given to us for comfort so that we are aware it comforted the disciples. Well, they had to go through the roller coaster of emotions with the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord. But they did it. They did it. So, so here it is. Um, it happened in the early church. And if we go to First Corinthians thirteen, eight, it says, uh, well, "Let's read the whole thing." Love never fails. Now. Prior to this, the whole thing was about love. And the reason why he was emphasizing love, because he was trying to show them the progression of the Christian life. It is not to be over-indulged and occupied with these spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit had given. And the Corinthians had done just that. They had made inferiority and superiority complexes out of having certain gifts. Uh, They said if you had the gift of speaking in tongues and, you you know, people were impressed with that and they were looked at and highly as like, you know, very spiritual. And those who had lesser gifts, well, they did not consider themselves and they lusted after gifts like the other people had. So instead, of, so we have that whole thing in First Corinthians 12 unfolding, you know, to tell us that, you know, every gift is important to the body. Don't look down on yourself and don't look at other gifts as though they are somehow superior. All of them are needed. The ones that are visible and the ones that are not seen, that are behind the scenes, they're all important. So, but the gift of prophecy in the early church, remember, it was tumultuous times going from Israel to the church uh, we were going from being people being under the law to not under the law and there's a whole new way of life the mystery and all these things to assimilate there was an early period of transition in the church and uh, when we see that there were prophecies and and this is what we see in first Corinthians 13 8 love never fails well fails as opposed to what some things that do cease some things that are stilled, some things that pass away. Yes, that's what he's talking about. Love as opposed to temporary things. Love never fails. It will never stop you know, uh, continuing to be the source of strength for us in the church. Whereas these things will fail. There, the Corinthians' thoughts on these things will fail. So he says uh, uh, we know in part if we continue on and we prophesy in part so knowledge the gift of knowledge and the gift of prophecy are in part that they're temporary i mean they don't we don't have the whole thing it's just part of it so that's what the temporary spiritual gifts were for the church they were a source of comfort so people could continue to be guided along the way along the difficult time where people didn't know whether how to separate the law from the church you know, and and what was a part of the spiritual life, and what wasn't. <clears throat> you know, these temporary spiritual gifts were given before God had fully given uh, what the view was in terms of written communication. So we've seen this; we've talked about this before, and so we know that a lot of uh, people try to perpetuate these temporary spiritual gifts, which leads us right into point D. Many try to replicate this temporary spiritual gift, especially the gift of prophecy, but to no end. So people are trying to say that they somehow have some supernatural power. You know, God has told me to tell you, have faith, brother. God has told me to tell you, be of good cheer. Or God, you know, they are trying to use prophecy in a way, predictive prophecy, like what's going to happen before it happens, like they have some supernatural power, but the prophecies they give are broad and, you know, without uh, any foundation, you know, and I've heard in the past people give prophecies, and when they are specific, what ends up happening? They end up false, (laughs) not happening. People have prophesied that uh, Christ is coming. They have said, Yeah, we read in the Bible, that, uh, you know, we, inter- we interpreted the Bible, and it says Christ is going to come at a certain time. And what happens? People are standing on some hill with white sheets on, and what happens? Christ doesn't come, and the calendar is what proves them wrong. They say he's going to come on such and such a day, he never comes. And these people have to go back to wherever they were disappointed. At least they should, because they were wrong. And they need to recognize that they were wrong and what led them to to being wrong. And why would they have assumed that they ha- somehow knew this in the first place? They were on a wrong path, pursuing wrong motivations. That's not what they should have been thinking about. What should they have been thinking about? Love never fails love never fails this is the constant and when we go down to the 13 we didn't get down to all the but when we look at verse 13 and now these three remain remain as opposed to things that do stop temporary spiritual gifts faith hope and love but the greatest of these is love so that's important for us to know but many try to replicate this spiritual gift but to no end, it doesn't have uh, the meaning. In fact, you can't replicate it by hunches. And You know, you look at somebody's face and it looks like they're in pain. So you say, yeah, it looks like God is telling me you're in pain. Prophecy is not hunches or spiritual some, some, or just intuition. Prophecy is where God literally saw what would happen in the future. It's a supernatural gift. It cannot be replicated. God the Holy Spirit must be the one behind it. And if he's not given the power for people to do that anymore, then people can't do that anymore. Christ had the gift of prophecy. He was. He didn't have just the gift, but he was a prophet. He was able to tell from the word of God that was shown him what would happen in the future. That's astounding to say, but... It is beyond human. It's not something humans are capable of. So I would just say when it comes to people who are all fanciful and think that they're prophets, in their title, prophet so-and-so is their title. And then I guess whatever they say, we ought to really pay attention because they're prophet so-and-so. And And then some people say, well, I'm going to trump that. I'm going to say, you know what? Apostle so-and-so is my name. I'm an apostle. Never mind. (laughs) Prophet, I'm going to be an apostle. And just try it on your name for size. Apostle, you fill in the blanks. Anyway, so what we need to realize is love never comes to an end. All those temporary spiritual gifts will, but love never will. So they try to replicate it, but we can know from the 9 through 13, which we've covered in the past, that it's not talking about um, eternity is talking about. When will these things cease? When that which completes them, then what is in part disappears, is verse 10, 1 Corinthians thirteen ten. But when the completeness or the perfection comes, in other words, what those gifts were a part of, when the whole comes, when God gives his full revelation, which is the mystery, right? When it's written and circulated, Then we don't need to, God the Holy Spirit doesn't need to give people uh, the gift of prophecy so that they could foretell what's going to happen, so that people are comforted and guided along the way. They will know exactly how it works. Now, here's the thing with this verse 10, uh, people have to avail themselves of the information, right? Just because God has Written it and said what it is doesn't mean people will follow it when we have the word written today and people don't follow it we you know we've talked about the mystery, surely you have heard the the administration of God's grace which is given to me for you that is the mystery, and you know what people haven't heard it's written right there, but they still don't haven't availed themselves of the information. they walk away from the Bible. Even though it says what it says about salvation. And they still try to bring their works. Even though the Bible says not of works. Yet. So even though. So you got people who still won't understand. But you know what? Once God has given the information, he's not going to pound it in your head. He's going to allow your free will to choose what you want to believe. Now, of course, God has testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles given by the Holy Spirit, which nobody else can do. God has testified to the truth. And that's how he's done it, supernaturally, so that you know it's him speaking and not just some voice in the wind. That's what people are following, oftentimes, some voice that's in the wind. So, But when the completeness comes, what, what, what's in part disappears? What is in part? Well, let's see. Prophecies will cease. Tongues will be still. They won't be able to speak in tongues anymore. Knowledge, the gift of knowledge, well, it will pass away. That's what's in part. And those were given for a time. But when, when, the, when the what is in part, it says, disappears when the completeness comes won't have to worry about the temporary gift of prophecy or knowledge or tongues or whatever those things. Because God will have said, and he's used the Holy Spirit to write the words that are given to us. He has made his declaration of what it is and it's circulated so that those gifts aren't needed anymore. If God continues to give those gifts after he's given the word, then that's to say that nobody's going to have to or need to pay attention. The word. That means people will will be focused on what somebody said, some prophecy that somebody said. But when God has laid it out in the Word, He doesn't need to continue to have the Holy Spirit give people those temporary spiritual gifts. They got the whole already. And verse thirteen, twelve. He he gives the or eleven. He gives the analogy when i was a child i talked like a child i thought like a child so now we know what he's talking about right exactly he's talking about the church age right with the, all of its unique spiritual gifts and how they were clamoring after one gift over another and its superiority and inferiority complexes developed and and he's like look love is the thing you need to be focused on you could do all these fantastical things, but if you don't have love, you're nothing. It is nothing. And so that's what we're dealing with, the church age. And look, he likens it metaphorically to a child. He says, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, he doesn't need to be childish anymore. Why? Because the knowledge of becoming a man, he says he put childish ways behind me, the ways of childhood behind me. He doesn't continue to act and behave like a child anymore, or reason like a child, because he he understands what it means to be an adult. That's what uh, prophesying in part and all those things are. And those people who try to perpetuate that gift today, are behaving childishly. First of all, they can't do it, uh, and they're behaving childishly. So what should they be focused on? Love. Love. That's the motivation that we want in the church. Not who's more superior or who's inferior and all that. Lusting after spiritual, temporary spiritual gifts. So that's important. So when we see Jesus doing it, we see... Not only does he prophesy, but then we see how those prophecies come to pass. All we got to do is keep reading in the Bible. There it is, right there. They are short-term prophecies. He made some long-term ones, too. But right here, short-term. All right, so let's continue. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. First thought. As the events unfolded, just as Jesus prophesied, the disciples will remember the teaching and trust the plan. Right? Well, what do we mean by trust the plan? They panicked and said, would not think the sky is falling. They said, when Jesus said, I'm leaving, they were upset. They just felt like all is lost. Woe is me. I've been following this man and now he's going to be crucified? Don't you know how many other false messiahs were out there and people followed them and they had all these people following them and then they were crucified and that was the end of their movement. And even in Acts, I think one of the uh, guys, Gamaliel, or some one of them said, he said, yeah, uh, don't worry about this. Let these people go. If what they're going to, what they're saying is true. Then God will testify to it. If it's not, there's nothing we, you know, it'll go away on its own. We don't have to worry. Well, Christianity is still here today. And I would say we're stronger than ever. I don't mean that in the sense of people are mature everywhere you look, but Christianity exists and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That is what Jesus said, the church. So this thought here is, yeah, we can understand that what is really happening. I mean, the fact that we have now uh, the the mystery age, we understand that. We can now integrate some of the things that are said in the Old Testament and some of the things that happened in Jesus' time and, and now to what's happening now. And we have revelation ahead of the tribulation of what's going to happen. We understand how things are shaping out. We start to see how it makes sense now. The mystery is the key to human history that we didn't have, but now we do. So we have to make sure we uh, interpret human history with the right understanding. Yeah. Point B, it was comforting to the disciples to know the plan. Do you know the plan? Do you know what will happen next? So that was part of what Jesus was saying to them, right? In John chapter 16, one of the things the Holy Spirit would do, here it is, uh, it says, uh, when the Spirit of truth comes, verse 13 that is, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own he will speak only what he hears and and he will tell you what is yet to come so the Holy Spirit will give us future information notice he will he will, he will it will not be about him it'll be about Christ because the focal point of human history of church age is Christ and he that's the, God's eternal purpose rests on the shoulders. Christ and what God has done through him. It is through Christ that God will bring many sons into glory. It is through Christ that many are conformed to that image and to that likeness and that he is able to call many brothers and sisters. It is through the person of Christ that we were called, and chosen in him before the creation of the world. So it... It is comforting for us to know this, right? So where do we stand in human history? We can look behind us and we can see how God created all things. The word without him, there was not one thing made that has been made. We can see the fall. We can understand what happened through Abraham and Moses and Israel and, and how we are not a part of Israel. God has this special purpose now that he's calling out those many sons. And then how human history will continue, and then the end will come, and the great white throne judgment right on through. Eternal state, the destruction of the universe, and the recreation of it with a new earth. So all of that we can integrate now. When we know the plan, it's comforting. It it helps us orient to what is happening to us right now on the ground. It gives us that assurance of we are following the plan. The disciples could connect the dots as well. They could know the plan. They could see how it all was going to work out. Jesus said that would happen. They would say, oh yeah. (laughs) That's exactly according to what Jesus said. And then they would continue on. It would give them assurance, confidence, hope. They were believing It would strengthen their faith to see the very things that Jesus said would happen, happen. Strengthening their faith and driving away fear because it would strengthen their love for Christ. So point C is, how can can you, uh, you know the plan? How can you know the plan? To begin with, it's that second part of Hebrews chapter six. He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. So, just like I've said before, just because God gave us His Word in completeness and He circulated, and now everybody has no excuse as to why, you know, uh, they don't believe the truth. Some people will still choose not to believe the truth. It's up to them, right? and so it is, right? If you are not diligent and earnestly seeking him as a believer, then you will not be rewarded with the knowledge of his will. The disciples had to. Jesus was telling them these things, but the information was going in one ear and right out the other. They weren't paying attention to what Jesus was saying. So now they have to earnestly, right, D- drill down dig in right focus and this is the tough part when it comes to um, conference by phone right? if we're not face to face people have to learn to focus in you know put aside all distractions right focus and and you need that focus because without it then you could drift right You could hear the words, but they could come in one ear and out the other. The Spirit allows, that filling gives us that determination to dig down deep into the Word of God and and to mine those precious truths that are there and then to hold on to them. So he rewards those. He doesn't reward everybody with this information, but he rewards those who diligently, earnestly seek him. That's an important verse. So point D, let's move forward. Connecting the dots in his word of truth, right? And the disciples, like I painted the picture earlier, how they had to connect the dots, right? Before they saw the big picture. That is what we have to do as well. We have to connect the dots. And you know, when we connect the dots, we have the feeling that God is speaking to us because we saw what he said here. And then we learned that he said that over here, but you know what, over here, he gave you more information about that thing. And then we looked over here and we saw it again, but we even saw more information about that same thing. And you know, it's like we're following, we're building, and the more we build this information in our souls, the more we understand the Father's eternal purpose. And then we come to love it and understand it. We, in, in our understanding, we come to love it even more. You know, it's what I call connecting the dots in his word of truth. And how do we do it? What, so it says in the verse that we used uh, for the founding of this church, what was important to us. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify means to set apart for God's holy purposes, right? And Jesus is praying for us, sanctify them, He's talking about the disciples with the extension of us in verse 20, by means of the truth. What truth? He's been talking to you about what the truth was, how the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth. Only by means of the spirit of truth do we get truth. And then he says, your word is truth so we're going to find in the word where we are set apart this these are the the teachings of god that set us apart right that that sanctify us and that how do we do it by is it by the law is it by the teachings or or the wisdom that is found in the old testament scriptures no not at all it is the wisdom that is destined that was destined for our glory before the world began. That's the truth that we're going to be set apart unto. Things that I, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither have they entered into the heart of man. Your word is truth. So, that's an important way for us to be distinguished or set apart uh, as holy unto God. It's by means of the truth. It's not by means of your behavior, how you look, whether you wear a cross or not, whether you dress a certain way. It is by means of the truth. Right? That's what sets us apart in this world. That's what people will notice about us. Point E. Trust the word. God sees the future sharper than we see the present. this is to say that God can see, right, that this is a supernatural thing. That God, who is the designer of all things, the creator of all things, is able to see what the what will happen in the future. It's, it's an amazing thing. To think about. But the Bible has predictive prophecy and it's accurate to the T. God says not one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from their law until all these things be fulfilled when god says something he's not just saying well this might happen if this happens that will happen but he does give prophecies or he tells things that he says well if israel turns from their ways and if they do this then this will happen he says things like that but when he talks about prophecy he says what will happen it's not contingent Upon what someone will or will not do. He's saying this will happen. And just be- you better know that it's going to happen. And you might as well just bank on it. Know that this is reality. So when God says prophecies are going to happen. When he talks about the tribulation. Jacob's trouble. He prophesied this thousands of years prior. Oh, you can believe Jacob's trouble is on the earth. It's coming. As soon as the church is over, seven years of Israel, which is part of what we call the tribulation, will happen. Will the rapture happen? Absolutely. The Lord himself will descend from heaven. According to the Lord's own word, this is going to happen. He will do it, and it will be so. We can trust the word. And you need to learn to trust the word more than what you see in the world. Because the world may paint a picture that something else may happen. Or that you need to expect something else. Or look in another direction. But God sees the future clearer, sharper, than we see what's going on in the present. I just want to look at a couple of scriptures. Now, you're going to have to, if you're going to follow them, you've got to be fast. So, uh, Psalm... The first one is Psalm 18, right, and we'll look at verse 30. So it says this, as for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless, right? It's not some parts will be true and some parts will not. In fact, God had a a way you could determine how prophets were true or not in his word and one way would be well what did what he said come to pass right that tells you in fact he said if you see people prophets who are prophesying things that don't come to pass and they're telling you you know this is god's word what should you do israel stone them what does that mean put them to death they're running around telling people god said this and he didn't say that or this would happen, and it doesn't happen. What should Israel do? Stone them, kill them. That's how serious God is about prophets. I would say if that were going on today, people wouldn't so easily put prophet in front of their name, I think. They would be a little bit more cautious. Well, maybe I don't want to be a prophet, if that is the case. So if you're a prophet, what should you do? Well, go ahead and prophesy. Well, prophets, as we said, were part of the temporary spiritual gifts given to the church so that it could navigate in the muddy waters of the early church. So it's words, the Lord's word is flawless. That's why we said not one jot or one tittle, which is the smallest characters in the Hebrew alphabet. Smallest as possibly be, just a little, like a little apostrophe. One jot or one tittle of so in no wise pass from the law until all is fulfilled. In fact, kings who were going to war would often get a prophet and say, tell me what's going to happen. Will I win this war? You tell me what you see. And prophets would say, yeah, you're going to prevail or no, you will not prevail. And kings started to hate the fact that prophets would say you would not prevail. And Jeremiah was a good example of a prophet who prophesied things that they didn't want to hear. So they went and got prophets that they liked what they were saying. And they put them before the king. Right? They didn't. Jeremiah is going to tell them the wrong thing and the things that they didn't want to hear. And the other prophets were telling them positive things. They were false prophets. And the king should have really listened to Jeremiah. Yeah. So this was how man saw things. right? And this is, to me, how prophets today tell you things. God has a word for you. In fact, God has something he wants you to do. He has a great plan for you to write a book or something. Or to be successful, to make a lot of money or whatever in this world. These are just like those prophets telling the kings what they wanted to hear instead of what the word of the Lord was. In fact, to remember another one, if I were to digress, Balaam, right, it's right there in the word for you, right? You saw uh, they wanted to pay Balaam to, to say prophets that were curses and judgments against Israel so that they thought if they did that, then... And the prophet's word's going to come true, then somehow Israel would be defeated. Uh, wrong. That was wrong thinking. And Balaam was wrong to even indulge them in this in the first place. Anyway, continuing on. So that was Psalm 1830. How about Psalm 33? Um, let's continue on verse 4. Psalm 33, verse 4 says, for the word of the Lord is right and true. I just like what it says. It's very similar to what we talked about. Thy word is truth, right? In John 17, 17. He is faithful in all he does. You know, here it is. God's word, he is behind his word. If God says something's going to happen, right? It's not so much that God is going to make it happen, but if God promises that he's going to do something when it comes to the prophecy? He is going to do it. He's faithful. And if the Bible says that Christ will come back according to the Lord's own word, you can believe God is faithful in speaking those words about what he's going to do. He's faithful, he's trustworthy in all he does. This is part of the character that when we talk about trusting the word, You need to see the character of the word so you can understand whether or not it is worthy of your trust. If it comes true some of the time and some of the time it doesn't, well, you're going to measure that and say, well, yeah, I trust the word to an extent. But no, the word's flawless. It's always absolutely true. And another one, Psalm 119, 105. And even though I know we're in the mystery age, I know these words are dealing with Israel, but still dealing with the word of God in general. So you should know whether it was in the Old Testament, you know, just because we're not under the law and all those things doesn't mean they aren't true. They are true. They're absolutely true. And Psalm one nineteen one oh five 105 is one you probably know. And I should say, I was digressing again. You could look up the word in your bible and find so many other scriptures thousands probably i'm guessing hundreds let's just say of scriptures that deal with the veracity faithfulness truthfulness of the word when it's given right psalm 119 105 says your word is a lamp for your feet and a light on your path i mean just imagine we're walking in darkness without the word and when we get the word, we can know where to step. It's a light for my feet and a lamp for my path, a light for my path. It's, it's trustworthy for sure. It helps us see what's going, going to happen. And then let's move on to the New Testament, Mark 14. And these are just some of the ones I picked out, as I'm pointing out to you, 14 and 72 probably should have made a 15 and uh, uh, or skipped on to the 70, verse 72 14 says immediately the rooster crowed the second time then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him before the rooster crows twice you will disown me three times and he broke down and wept so this is where Peter said, I will die for you. I don't, I, I don't worry. I don't believe you're going to go away. I will fight. I will die. If I have to fight for you and die, I will do that. That's how willing he was to, but he was, remember, had to, in his mind the things of men. He just didn't understand the plan. So Peter remembered what Christ said. This is, I told you These were short, a lot of these were short-term things. And sure enough, Peter broke down and he wept. Yeah. So another verse, Luke 1.37, which is talking about the word. Uh, One, thirty-seven says, For no word from God will ever fail. Now I know when we think about how the Word happens, and you will need your own experience, but these are the experiences of others who have trusted the Word as well. And how when we look at the story of how Jesus was born or what we would say the Incarnation, we can see how it unfolded. The prophecies of the Old Testament were given and how they were absolutely true. And how they were uh, fulfilled, and, and what we can say with is with Luke is for no word from God will ever fail, no matter how it seems or what it looks like. If God saw it, then it's you might as it's history to God. It, it is future to us, but it is so perspicuous and historical because God already saw it. He knows exactly what's going to happen, so. It, we can trust it implicitly and then there's first thessalonians 4 and you we've quoted this one first thessalonians uh, four says and i believe i am looking at verse uh, where is it verse 15. so it says according to the lord's word so Paul is saying according to his own words Jesus spoke these words and he's not this is not a guess of the apostle Paul for him to write these things he's not saying well this is what i think based on you know what i know i think this might happen no he's quoting the word of Jesus we tell you that we who are still alive who are left until the coming of the lord will certainly not precede those Who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage comfort one another with these words. Same thing we were talking about earlier about the comfort. When we see the plan unfold it gives us comfort. It gives us a pause to say, yeah, even though these terrible things are happening in the world and a lot of these things are happening to us, we're suffering. We can know what God's purpose and plan is in the future and how it's going to unfold. And you know what, when we get to this point when the Lord himself will descend from heaven and and we're caught up or we are changed, like it says, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, we shall all be changed. When that happens, we're going to say it ourselves. Yep, just like the Lord said it would. He says, if it were not so, would I have told you these things? That I am going away to prepare a place for you and I will come again and take you to be with me where I am? Isn't that so? And we will say, yes, it's so, sure. Every word of the Lord will not fail. It is true. It's flawless. That's how we will see that. And then there's Hebrews 4.12, which gives us some more about the word. Hebrews chapter 4, we're moving on. Verse 12, for the word of the Lord, of the word of God is active, alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. I should conclu- include nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Just imagine the whole creation is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him. God can see it. It's not like God can't see all creation, whatever is happening from alpha to Omega. From the beginning of creation to the very end, God sees it all perfectly. It is laid bare before him. He sees every thought. He knows the words on your tongue before you even speak them. That's what it says. So read some more about this for yourself. It talks about this. The word can judge the things inward parts right the word judges the thoughts and intents the motivations of our heart god can know the motivations of your heart not by observing you by looking and seeing oh yeah it looks like he's going that way doing this no he can the he can dig in he can see inside god looks at the heart not just what we can see on the outside. So I know time is who, time is moving fast. We got to continue on though. Illumination, point F and then you know we're going to close after this. I just have to make this last point. So illumination is the way we allow God to unfold His plan to us. So it's illumination. Look look Ephesians, Ephesians. 3 2 through 4. Let's read it. Ephesians 3 Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. So, this is what we've talked about before, right? And uh, Paul received it by revelation, which means directly from God. God said, Paul, here it is. And Paul was sitting there as a willing vessel and understood it. Like pristine from God. <laughs> like, like what apostles and prophets receive the word of God. Paul got it that way by revelation. God revealed himself. the apostle and and then he's telling you what sort of revelation is this mystery revelation that has been hidden in the past never revealed to old testament people in fact this is why i say why are we looking for wisdom the christian way of life through the old testament what's not there it's not in there it's in the new testament where God has revealed this information by revelation, right? So for us, the way we get it is not by revelation. To be accurate, and and people will say, God revealed this to me. And I know people speak of it in those terms. But we're not apostles or prophets. So the way we get it, the way we come to know it, is through illumination or God, the Holy Spirit, leading and guiding us into all truth. That's the way we connect the dots. It is illuminated to us according to the word of truth. So just to note, that word, insight, where Paul says in verse 4, and reading this then, and when we have read it, then you will be able to understand my insight. So I looked into that word, insight, and it's in the Greek, sunesis. And this is what they say about it. It's a mental putting together, that is, intelligence or, uh, concretely, the the intellect, knowledge, understanding. And that's from Strong, and and again, from Thayer as well, a running together, a flowing together with. That thought, where a mental putting together is, is where you have taken certain pieces of knowledge and you have put them together. And Paul is saying that about the mystery. Now he is—he received the revelation from God, but now that he's received it, he's saying you need to see my sunesis, or how now all of human history and everything is put together, how it runs together now with this new information, his knowledge or his sunesis so other ways sunesis is used in scripture let's just look at some of the other ways it's seen just to understand it but that's an amazing word i haven't seen it in this way before how it is a putting together and isn't that how we have to do it we have to put together that we have to take the mystery and we have to integrate that into the rest of the word it is not something that we say oh the mystery Stands apart. In fact, there are some people who only say that the mystery is only what Paul wrote, and so they'll say from First Corinthians to you know, you know Philemon or something, and that's the mystery. And everything else, what Peter wrote, what John wrote, and other scriptures are not part of the mystery. They have cut up the word so that uh, it doesn't make sense, and it. Literally, they have looked at the mystery and hyper-dispensationalists. This is what they've done. They've cut the word up in such a way that the mystery is only what Paul, the Apostle Paul said. And I would say that is absolutely wrong. God began to reveal the mystery of Pentecost. And now just because you see some back and forth going on in Acts where the church struggled a bit, yeah, that happened. Well, it's an ugly history, but it is the reality. Yeah, that that happened. So let's continue the thought. Look at a couple of verses, and then we're going to have to close. So Luke 2 and 47. Much more can be said about uh, those people. Luke 2 and 47 says... Everyone who heard him was amazed at the understanding of his answers. You know that word understanding? That's our word, sunesis. So his insight and his answers. So Jesus, they were amazed. Remember, this was at 12 years old. Jesus was already, he had sunesis. He was able to put together a whole lot of things. And guess what? One of the things he had to put together was the fact that he himself was the Lamb of God. He was the one that he was going to lay down his life. I keep digressing. I better keep moving or we will be here. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9. Let's move quickly there. Colossians 1. We're just getting a flavor for this word. Verse 9 says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with not the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and, here it is, sunesis, understanding. So we need wisdom and sunesis, both of them, so that we can navigate through this life. Right? This is important for us. And that understanding is where we have to put it all together. It's not just that we know this information, the knowledge is there, but the wisdom and how we are able to retrofit that wisdom to our lives on, on the battlefield. So keep continuing in verse Colossians 2 2. Here, here it is. We see the word again. My goal is that they may, they may be encouraged in heart and united in love that they may have the full riches of complete and here it is sunesis understanding so if you hear if you get knowledge that's facts but do you understand what those knowledge, that knowledge is saying many people don't have sunesis right they have the facts but when they try to make application to the facts to their lives they don't have the proper understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are tr- hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, that understanding is important to you. Right? And then second uh, Timothy two: seven is our last passage, Second Timothy two and verse seven. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this understanding in other words paul's drawing these analogies he's talking about the hard-working former uh, farmer former farmer he's talking about the athlete the soldier right who, uh, who gets entangled in civilian affairs he's giving all these analogies about the spiritual life and he says reflect on these things and you give you the Lord will give you insight Well, he'll help you understand and get to the spiritual import of what I'm trying to tell you. So notice how it's important. That word is important. That word is as important as wisdom. And I would say wisdom and understanding are very like sisters here in Scripture. They're very important to the way we see our spiritual life. We're going to have to quit. I realize I'm way over time. I apologize for that, but we will continue this thought. This is a short verse, but we'll continue this thought next week. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father. We are glad to be here. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the preservation of it in 2020. And we can still trust it and know that uh, what you have told us in your word is flawless and true and dependable we thank you that because lord we we are hanging our very lives on what your word says and we trust that it is absolutely your words but they have been demonstrated to us by signs wonders and various supernatural miracles given by the holy spirit so we thank you for those who have assembled themselves here and we pray for each family that is represented that we will continue to grow in grace and to grow in understanding and love so that we may be complete in you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen.
2: Amen. Amen.